Happy Sunday. If you've been joining us the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in this Lenten series that is in preparation for Easter. This is a period that we get to return, to examine a few elements of our own story in our own life as we prepare for the resurrection that's coming around the corner. In the first week, we talked a little bit of what it looks like when we depart from God, when we go and satisfy our own needs apart from him, and what it looks like then to return to him. And then last week, Allie was kind and beautiful, be- spoke beautifully about what it looks like to approach God as this mother hen with this wing, right, this wing of protection where we all might find ourselves and that she may be protecting us from danger. And that's true. And we're going to continue in this series. And, sp- and today we're talking about an interesting passage. And um, when you follow the lectionary, this, this collection of scripture passages that guides you through the church calendar, you're faced with passages like we face today. The lection, in the lectionary, you don't necessarily choose the passage you want to speak on. The lectionary kind of tells you this passage that you get to share that day because the church around the globe is sharing that passage today. And today is one of those passages. It's one of those passages that, at our first glance, seems bewildering, confusing. It raises kind of conflict inside. It makes us want to, like, resolve something. And it's in passages like this that we listen. We listen for the voice of God. We listen for him say, hey, before you jump to conclusions, before you look at this at your own perspective, bring me into the picture. Invite me into the space. And I'll show you. I'll show you what we're looking at together. Now, a little bit of context before we step into this passage. Jesus is, is teaching. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and a bunch of people are following. I don't know what that means. It could be like a small peanut gallery. It could be a whole bunch of people. We're unclear. The passage doesn't exactly say. But there, he's on his way, and he's been doing a lot of things. He's been teaching about the good news. And if you ever have a question of, is this good news? You, you can simply answer this question by, by actually considering, is this something I would want to share with my mom? <laughs> like, sometimes I think about this. Is this something that I would ever want to share with anybody else? That's what good news is. And so Jesus is teaching good news, and he's performing miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing people. He's multiplying fish. You get a fish, you get a fish, you get a fish, you get a fish. And and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And amidst all of that stuff that he's up to, there's this group of people, and they say, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Did you hear what's happening in Galilee? Yeah, we see those things that you're up to. We understand what you're telling us about that. That's great news. But did you hear about Galilee? In today's passage is Luke 13. If you want to follow along with us, you'll find it on the screen. The, the title of this passage in some of the Bibles that we may use today is Repent or Perish. 
Mary says, come on, Mary. I brought my mom today. I brought friends today. Like, what are we supposed to talk about over lunch? You're going to ruin this for me. Talk about tithing or something else. <laughs> Repentance or perish. But that title is actually a title that, like, tra- like transcribers have made over the years. So we'll kind of step into the passage because we may choose to rename it. Who knows? But we read this. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And then we can read that Jesus answered. So there's a question in the air. And the scripture doesn't exactly reveal the question, but it's the question all of us would be asking when we hear about something like that. Which is, what is going on over there? Can you explain that to me? Can you tell me why you're going to let that thing happen? Can you, can you help me comprehend what's going on over there in that thing, in, the, in Galilee? Because I can't understand it. I can't make sense of it. I can't reconcile what you've been up to, the good news and miracles and the kingdom of God, and then this thing over in Galilee. And really what they're doing is they're simply wrestling with the headlines of the day. Which is what we all are kind of up to. Wrestling with headlines. That we keep seeing. About suffering in the world. And we ask, how do we make sense of that? What sense does that make? Lord, I get all that, but... There's this, still this suffering, and we might even interpret some of this suffering in our own lives. Like there's, mind, there's like personal sufferings, things that we personally go through. And we might ask God those questions. Why this? Why now? There might be sufferings we witness going on in other people's lives. Why that? Why them? I was on the phone Thursday, like just a few nights ago with someone. And they told me that their, uh, that their spouse got into gambling two years ago. And they just found out about it. Surprise! And they've lost everything. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. And the spouse that this happens to doesn't really deserve that. Right? And now they're entering a period of suffering. And there's this loss of deep trust with their spouse. Why is that happening? Lord, how do we reconcile these things? See, in Jewish theology at the time, they would interpret individual suffering with individual sin. So they would look at it in a sense and say, okay, if you are going through a period of pain and suffering, you've done something that's warranted pain and suffering. And we kind of play the same game today in a different light. We say things like, well, they had it coming. We say things like, they brought it on themselves. They were asking for it. And then we say things like, I'm not surprised that that's what happened. 
And what's happening is we're jumping to a conclusion. We're jumping to a conclusion. And Jesus is, is now answering kind of this conclusion that they jump to, that we've jumped to. And he says, and he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? In a sense, he's just saying, do you really, is that really what we're talking about? Do you think that this happened because they deserved it? Do you think that they were up to something and they deserved this thing? See, Pilate's a pretty violent guy. And so when they hear about this violent guy doing violent things, there could be kind of like this, yeah, it sounds kind of status quo. Sounds par for the course. Sounds like a lot of what we understand about him already. And Pilate is, is when they say mixing these bloods, Pilate has gone and murdered people during a religious event, during a religious practice. And in the culture, they're saying, well, was, that, was the practice sinful and is that why they died? And Jesus is just drawing them back together. And he's saying, don't jump to conclusions. Don't look at it from your own perspective. Come to me. Invite me into the picture. Invite me into the situation. Allow me to help you see what is going on. That's what's being addressed in this, in this passage, is, is our ability, our willingness to open ourselves up to God's participation in our own life. And now the flip side of some of that thinking, because some of us... I, are like, yeah, I don't do this. The flip side of thinking that tragedy is a result of your sin is that the absence of tragedy is the result of some kind of righteousness or some kind of piety or doing good or some reverence or some form of like what I've done. Like I've done my part, I've done what I've needed to and so of course I'm not going to suffer like those other people are suffering. And what Jesus is calling them to is saying, no, this is universal. Everyone's in this together. We're all capable, we're all, we're all engaged in this same story, suffering. In verse 3, he shares, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. What he's saying is, do you think your good works are capable <laughs> of saving you? Do you think your righteousness, your practices, what you do is capable of it? And he says no. And then he talks about these 18. He points back in verse 4, he kind of points back at these 18. He says it's kind of like those 18. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish until he repeats himself. I tell you no. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, your, 
the suffering that you encounter in life, the tragedies that we see around the world are apart from your spiritual state. The suffering you, you experience is apart from your spiritual state. The tragedies in life are apart from the spiritual state. So he says, no, but repent or else you too will perish. And some of us can linger and perish and say, you know what? Perish isn't necessarily a future tense thing. It's today. It's my life right now. I experience this around me. And so really understanding the, this passage is unpacking this word of what repentance looks like and what repentance means. And repentance is a word that comes from the Latin, and it, it's two words, re, which means again, and penitentia, which is, well, literally translated penance. And the root of penance is pain. So this this repentance is to return to the pain. To return to that thing in the past and experience that pain. That's why the Oxford English Dictionary defines repentance as feeling of regret over something you've done. It's a feeling of regret over something you've done. So in a kind of a literal sense, in a basic sense, Repentance means, as we understand it culturally, looking at something you've done in the past and feeling really bad about it. It's to regret it. And that's kind of how we understand repentance today. But what I'd love to invite us into is kind of reimagining what repentance could look like and might even be like as it was originally intended. Because the original word here is metanoia. And that Greek word is different than what we kind of use operationally as repent, as go and just regret the past. Metanoia comes from two, these two different words, but means after and change. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's to change your mind. To have a mind change. So when Paul is writing about do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's talking about your, your mind, your being. And in these ancient times, mind and heart were kind of used interchangeably. So what Metanoia is talking about is the full transformation of the being. A process, a full transformation of who we are into an image of God. And so to take that idea of metanoia, that profound transformation that we go through, and to reduce it down to just regret, <laughs> to regret the things that are bad in the past, is, is a little shameful, probably. I think it's shameful. But metanoia begins to kind of awaken something new. Because when we're in a sight, we're, when we're doing, when we're, when we're up to repentance in that regretful sense, we get kind of in this cycle of regret. Of like, I do this thing, 
and I felt really bad about it. And then there was a period of time between, and then I did it again. I felt really bad about it. And I did it again. I felt really bad about it. And there's this cycle of regret. And this cycle of regret doesn't really work, but metanoia is different. Where regret tells us that we look kind of at our past and where we've been and to feel really, really bad about what we've done, metanoia invites us to look forward. Forward at the promise of what God has called us to. In one sense, what Jesus is communicating here is not necessarily do this thing and do the do do repentance or else I'll throw you off a cliff. It's not what he's communicating. Do this or else throw you off a cliff. What he's saying is you may not know this, but you're already there. And it doesn't matter good or righteous or reverent you are, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't have life unless you turn to me, unless you met Anoia to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what he's inviting us to is to return, to turn, to metanoia, to, to change again, again, again. Jesus is not in this passage bringing a solution to the questions at hand. He's up to something else. In a sense, Jesus is not, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring an explanation for all the stuff that's happening in the world. All the suffering, all the tragedy. I didn't come to bring an explanation. I came to, I came to show you what transformation looks like. And if you come away with me, you don't jump to conclusions about all the things that are going on in life. And if you're careful not to look at things just from your own perspective, but you invite me into the picture, you turn to me, you met in Noia, I'll show you. I'll show you the way. I'll show you the way where, where, all, where all of a sudden our worldview of things begin to change. And the same tragedies, the same sufferings, those same things in life, they aren't necessarily the proof of God's unexistence. They're then the evidence of why we need him so much. So the invitation kind of remains open. Would you come? Would you come and return? We are faced, however, with the fact that repent is still in the Bible. And 
faced with a question, in fact, about like, why is that the case? Why is repent still there? So th I have like a, a quick history of how the Bible was translated into English. If this is this is not like you're about to be like this is like eighth grade, <laughs> like down. This is sixty seconds. Stay with me. In 1380, John Wesley translated the Bible into English for the very very first time ever. Okay, think uh, think French and English War, like that period of time, or the Last Duel. If you ever saw that, if you've seen that movie with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Is that period of time. And he used, when he translated the word, he used the word penance. And you can't really blame him. He's translating from the Vulgate, which is written in Latin. And it wasn't for about another hundred years until it was retranslated. And Williams Tinsdale translated it at that point to, to amend. Which is kind of like, hey, that's moving in the right direction, probably. And then there was a cycle of things, of translations. And every few years, the next would be Miles. Miles Coverdale translated the Bible again. And then the Great Bible. And then the Protestant reformers came along and they, they, wrote, the <coughs> they, they wrote the Geneva Bible. And then the Bible was written, which is the King James Bible. In 1611, think Mayflower, pilgrims. In 1611, making it the Bible. And he translated it using the word repent. And institutionalized it for the next 400 plus years. And I don't, I don't, I don't share that to determine what word's the right word to use in scripture. I share that to say how easily a word can get into our bones. How easily something can, can take over the way we understand life. We've heard it said that words create these worlds, and this word repent has created a world. That when we think about it, we think of somebody with a bullhorn or, or somebody with like a cardboard thing on their chest that says repent or something, some threat <laughs> of some kind. And that is a departure from what Christ is calling this crowd to. And then we read this parable. And be easy to read this parable. It'd be easy to read a threat within this parable. If we are interpreting this parable through the law, like what's the right thing to do, we're going to read a threat every time. But if we read it in light of the narrative of Scripture, it says God is kind and that God is good and that God is gracious, then we may bump into something different. He says this in the parable. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in a vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. 
So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. think what we might be able to but do we I think what we may see is God's incredible patience with us. I think what we might be able to see is him say, no, 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 put the clippers away. <laughs> Give me one more year with her. Give me one more year. And I'll do my absolute best. I'll do everything I can possibly think of to fertilize her bear fruit. And this is then the invitation that we encounter. It's the reminder that we see that even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we make these mistakes along the way, God returns to us and says, it doesn't doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you're doing. What matters is I'm committed to you. And I'll stay committed to you. Why? Because I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And there's nothing you can do, righteous or otherwise, that's going to change my posture toward you. As Christians, it's important to remind ourselves that our when it, it matters of our faith, when it comes to our faith, our primary concern is not about being right or wrong. What's the right word? What's the wrong word? Who's in? Who's out? It's not about right, being, being right or wrong. When it comes to matters of our faith, our primary concern is knowing that we are loved. And if we miss that, we're going to miss everything. And we're going to start looking at Scripture very differently. Can I pray for us? Holy Trinity, we love you. And we trust you. And we ask that In your great goodness and your great kindness, you may awaken in us something beyond our own capability. That we may metanoia, that we may return to you, return to you, that we may undergo that transformational journey. Lord, that as we depart here, as we continue worship, that you join us into the Lenten journey. As we examine the different territory of our life and ask, 
what it is that you might bring into conversation with you again. And we pray these things in your holy and precious, precious name. Amen.